Folk magic was not an American creation. It was carried to the New World by immigrants who brought it to these shores with whatever worldly belongings they could carry across the sea. But once it arrived here, it became a very American form of witchcraft. It took root among the people, the common folk, who used it for healing, divination, and sometimes for mischief. Folk magic and backwoods witchcraft became well-known among the people of Appalachia, while another version of it captured the imaginations of the people of Pennsylvania, around the same time that witch trials were being held in New England. It became accepted by both ordinary people and the authorities alike until the early 20th century, when a series of what were called hex murders changed the way that many people perceived the practice of powwowing and folk magic in the region. When the murders occurred, the city folk who read about them in their newspapers were shocked to discover that folk healers and witches were still active in the modern and civilized world of the 1920s. But little did they know, along the back roads and on the farms of rural Pennsylvania, witchcraft was alive and well. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our new season, Woods and Fields, Dark and Wicked, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. We have a long road ahead of us this season, traveling to America's forest, farms, and fields with tales of witchcraft and hexes, cults and curses, calamities and cannibalism, massacres and mysterious disappearances, and more magic, mayhem, sinners, and spirits than we've ever offered before. In this episode, we'll take you to the modern world of the 1920s, when fear of hexes and curses actually led to murder, and to the end of witchcraft and powwowing in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania hex magic dated back to the earliest days of the colony, linked largely to the Pennsylvania Germans, or Pennsylvania Dutch as they were called, although they weren't Dutch, they were Dutch, which is German but got mangled by Americans into Dutch. Phew. Anyway, it began with these immigrants and their descendants who largely settled in the fertile southeastern part of the colony near Philadelphia. The Germans held strongly to elements of their culture and blended customs of the old and new world to form a distinct identity. Even their language became a unique dialect. Though there were a great many different religious denominations among the German settlers, there was a common tradition of folk magic that was practiced by all. Their magic was mixed with their religious beliefs and was known as broka, or more commonly as powwowing. It had nothing to do with Native American ceremonial practices, despite the name. Most powwowers performed folk healing, and they believed the power to heal came from God. But there were also witches among them, called the Hexri. They were practitioners of harmful magic who drew their power from the devil. Powwowers and hex doctors often worked against one another, with the ordinary person sometimes caught in the middle. The powwowers offered cures and relief from illnesses, protection from evil, and the removal of hexes and curses. They also located lost objects, animals, and people, foretold the future, and provided good luck charms. To carry out their practices, they used charms, amulets, incantations, prayers, and rituals. It was generally believed that anyone could powwow, but members of certain families were especially skilled at it. 
These families pass their traditions down from generation to generation. The Hex doctors used dark magic that was beyond the normal use of the folk healer. They harassed neighbors and committed criminal acts with their supernatural powers. Sometimes they cast hexes for a price or out of revenge. It was not uncommon for someone to seek out one hex doctor to remove the curse of another. It was generally assumed that hex doctors made a pact with the devil and were given his powers, but there was also a book of spells and incantations that was associated with hex magic called the Sixth and Seventh Book of Moses. It had a sinister reputation and was rumored to be in the library of every witch and powerful hex doctor. It was a dangerous book, allegedly drawn from ancient grimoires and books of magic written by Moses himself to contain secret knowledge that couldn't be in the Bible. The book earned its evil reputation, offering instructions on how to conjure and control spirits and demons. It also contained spells and incantations that were beneficial to the user, as well as spells that could duplicate some of the biblical plagues of Egypt, turn a staff into a serpent, and other miraculous happenings. Though hex doctors frequently acquired the book to enhance their reputations, merely owning the volume was believed to be dangerous, and if a hex doctor actually read the whole thing, that could be fatal. Reading the book was believed to attract the attention of the devil, or at the very least cause the reader to become so obsessed with the book that they could do nothing but read it over and over again from cover to cover. The only way to break the obsession was to read the entire book in reverse, starting at the end and working back to the beginning. Using the book and their own spells, hex doctors targeted their victims in time-honored ways, mostly directing their spells towards animals and crops. They were often blamed when cows didn't produce milk, when seemingly healthy animals mysteriously died, or when crops failed. If a large hairball was found in the stomach of a dead animal, it was referred to as a witch ball, and it might be attributed to the work of a local hex doctor. In people, they caused illnesses, especially conditions that lingered and caused a person to waste away over time. They could also use spells to launch invisible attacks, causing seizures or fits, the sensation of being pricked or stabbed, or the feeling of being choked or strangled. Witches could also cause a run of bad luck for any individual they attacked. Needless to say, just about any type of misfortune, yeah, could be blamed on a hex doctor. The written word was powerful in every kind of folk magic. Written amulets and charms were common and believers often carried them on their person. Amulets usually included a written version of a protective charm and perhaps verses from the Bible. The paper they were written on was usually folded into triangles. If not carried personally, such amulets might be hung in a house or on a barn. You know, like the hex sign that we've seen on barns in films or while traveling in so-called Amish country. Ritualized objects were often used. These objects were actually mundane items, like buttons, stones, or dolls, but they acquired a special purpose when the objects were used as a surrogate for the afflicted person or even for the disease they suffered from. Much of folk magic depends on the principles of contagion and transference. Basically, the idea is that the evil or the disease is contagious and can be transferred away from the afflicted person and into an object. The object could then be disposed of in a certain manner to keep the contagion from spreading. As long as the person afflicted believed it would work, it usually did. Powwows depended on charms, recipes, and incantations that were passed down through their families. 
These recipe books contain the collective knowledge of a family line of powwowers. By the middle 1800s, these homemade volumes were joined by published volumes that came into common usage. Folk healers had always invoked and used the Bible in their magic, but they increasingly supplemented their knowledge with sources published by other powwowers. The most famous and widely read of these books was compiled by a powwower named John George Homan in 1819. The compilation of spells, charms, prayers, remedies, and folk medicine was called Derlang Vorbogen Frund, or The Long Lost Friend. It was meant to be sort of the opposite number to the infamous sixth and seventh book of Moses. Aside from being a collection of charms and recipes, the book itself became a talisman. And what was an example of resoundingly successful early marketing, buyers of the book were told they would be protected from harm merely by carrying it in their pocket. In the front of each edition was an inscription that read, whoever carries this book with him is safe from all enemies, visible and invisible. And whoever has this book with him cannot die without the holy corpse of Jesus Christ, nor drown in any water, nor burn up in any fire, nor can any unjust sentence be passed upon him. So help me. The bulk of the book consisted of remedies and charms to cure common illnesses, fevers, burns, toothaches, and other ailments. It also contained recipes for beer and molasses, and even had a charm for catching fish. Many of the charms of the book were meant to provide protection from physical harm, from weapons, fire, witches, or thieves. It also provided instructions on how to keep animals in certain locations, heal livestock and cattle, and even cure rabid animals. The rural people of the region believed in powwowing and hexing wholeheartedly, and this turned out to be a major part of the murders that occurred in the 1920s and 30s. The people involved believed in magic. They believed that it worked, and they believed it could ruin their lives. And they would do anything to stop that from happening. The most famous of the hex murders was committed by a third-generation powwower named John Blymeyer, who, while poorly educated, had a good reputation as a healer in York County, Pennsylvania. He'd started using folk magic to heal others when he was only seven years old. Despite his early success, though, he began to believe there was a shadow hanging over him. One day as he was leaving the cigar factory where he worked, an apparently rabid dog began running towards some of his fellow workers. John approached the dog and spoke the words of a spell. The dog's mouth allegedly stopped foaming and the animal became subdued. Blymeyer patted its head and the animal followed him excitedly for several blocks. But soon after, John's luck began to turn bad. He soon became ill and he started to believe that another practitioner had placed a hex on him. He found himself unable to eat, sleep, or work. John used several of his own magical charms to try and remove the hex, but he was unsuccessful. It was difficult to remove a hex if one didn't know the identity of the witch who placed it. Then one night, as he lay in his bed trying to sleep, the answer came to him. Just as the clock struck midnight, an owl outside hooted seven times. It was then that the idea came to John that he had been hexed by the spirit of his great-grandfather Jacob, who had been a powwower and the seventh son of a seventh son. 
Since he couldn't fight back against a spirit, he decided he would move away from his ancestral home and the cemetery where his great-grandfather was buried, hopefully breaking the spell. Well, it seemed to work, and soon John's luck began to improve, at least for a time. In addition to his work as a healer, John performed a variety of odd jobs. He soon met a young woman named Lily, and they married. The couple had two children, but both died in infancy. The youngest only lived for three days. These tragic occurrences led John to once again believe that he'd been hexed. Unable to determine the source of the new hex, he turned to other powwowers for help. One of them convinced him that the person who placed the hex on him was someone he knew well. This caused John to become suspicious of everyone around him, even his wife. Lily had reason to fear for her safety because in 1922, one of the same powwowers' clients murdered her husband after receiving similar information. She shot her husband in the head after the powwower had been hired to drive the witches out of her home. The woman snapped, killed her husband, and then committed suicide in jail. After consulting lawyers, Lily was able to obtain a judge's order to have John committed to an insane asylum. The doctors determined he was obsessed with hexes and magic and needed to go to the asylum for treatment. Soon after, Lily filed for divorce and it was granted. John didn't remain locked up for long. Just 48 days after he was committed, he simply walked out the door one day and vanished. No one even bothered to look for him. John went back to work at the cigar factory in 1928. While he was there, his obsession with hexes returned after meeting two other men, John Curry and Milton Hess, who also believed they had been hexed. He was terrified that someone was still out to get him. So John sought out a woman named Nellie Knoll, who was known as the River Witch of Marietta, and she identified the source of the hex that had been plaguing him as someone in a local family named Raymeyer. When he asked which family member it had been, she placed a dollar bill in his hand and then removed it. When John looked at his hand, he saw the face of Nelson Raymeyer, a skilled powwower that John had known most of his life. In fact, when he was only five years old, he became seriously ill and his grandfather, unable to cure him, took him to Nelson, who healed him. Well, John questioned Nellie, asking why Nelson would want to hurt him, but she would only say that she was sure he was the one who'd done it and that he'd also hexed his two friends, John and Milton, too. After telling his friends what he'd learned, John assured them that he knew how to make the hexes end. They just needed to take Nelson's copy of The Long Last Friend and a lock of his hair and bury them six feet underground. So on November 26th, John Blymeyer and John Curry went to see Nelson at his home in Raymeyer's Hollow. They were driven by Clayton Hess, Milton's oldest son. They stopped first at the home of Nelson's former wife, Alice, who said that Nelson could be found at his own home about a mile down the road. When they arrived at the house, John asked to speak with him about powwowing, never mentioning the real reason for his visit. After talking for a while, the men realized that it was late and Nelson offered to let them sleep downstairs. They agreed and while the other man slept, the two looked for his copy of the spell book but were unable to find it. They debated about trying to obtain a lock of Nelson's hair, but finally decided he was too big for them to hold down while they cut his hair. So the pair left in the morning after agreeing they needed more help. The following day, John told Milton Hess that he needed a member of his family to help them subdue Nelson. Hess and his wife offered their 18-year-old son, Wilbert, as an assistant. And they'd soon regret it. 
That evening, the three young men returned to Nelson's house and he let them inside. He never got the chance to wonder why they'd come back for another visit. When his back was turned, the men tackled him to the floor and attempted to tie his legs with a rope they'd brought with them. The exact details of what happened next varied slightly depending on which man told the story, but it ended up that during the struggle, Nelson was beaten and strangled to death. But when they realized that Nelson was dead, they took all the money in the house, hoping to make it look like a robbery. But they left behind the book and the lock of the old man's hair. He was dead. Surely that meant the hex had been lifted, right? Well, if it was true, John's luck certainly did not improve. The three men doused the body with kerosene and lit it on fire, hoping the flames would spread throughout the house and burn it down. When they left, Nelson's body was engulfed in flames, but somehow the fire mysteriously went out, leaving evidence of the crime behind. Two days later, a neighbor discovered Nelson's body. The shocking crime stunned the community, but the immediate shock was nothing compared to what emerged at trial. Alice Raymer informed the police of John's visit, and he and John Curry were soon arrested as suspects. As details of the events emerged, newspapers across the country plastered the story on their front pages. Every bizarre detail of John Blymeyer's hex-obsessed life was described for the public. When the men went to trial, there were daily reports of the proceedings. Wilbert Hess received a sentence of 10 years in prison, but John Blymeyer and John Curry both received life sentences for murder. Both were eventually paroled and both vanished from history. The Hex murder received wide coverage and while local authorities didn't attack powwowing in the area, the press, politicians and lawmen in other parts of the state certainly did. The sensationalistic coverage of the murder case put folk magic in the spotlight and powwowers began to be maligned in print, even those who practiced only the most beneficial forms of healing. Lured descriptions of magic and strange beliefs filled the newspapers and shocked Americans who were unaware that such things were still taking place in the 20th century. Law enforcement officials, doctors, and educators began working together to put an end to what they considered superstitious and dangerous practices. Many of them began attributing supernatural motivations to any strange new cases they encountered. During the murder trial, a coroner in a neighboring county claimed that the deaths of five children in the previous two years had been caused by powwowers. He said that the children's parents took them to folk healers when they were sick instead of real doctors, and as a result, they died. Now, he did admit there had been no formal investigations of these cases, but hey, they were all a matter of common knowledge. Well, the New York Times featured the coroner's questionable claims in an article under a dramatic headline that read, Deaths of Five Babies Laid to Witch Cult. Good grief. The newspaper quoted unnamed officials of the York County Medical Society who said the coroner's count of deaths attributed to witchcraft was much too low. Well, soon any death wit was even vaguely connected to a powwow or even rumored to have a connection was labeled a hex murder. In March 1929, the body of Verna Delp, age 21, was discovered in some woods near Allentown. On her body were three pieces of paper with magical charms written on them, supposedly to protect her from murder and theft. When three poisons were found in her body, a powwower who'd been treating her for eczema was blamed. He was arrested, but the charges were eventually dropped when it was discovered that Verna had been pregnant and was abandoned by the baby's father. She'd committed suicide. The press jumped on another case of murder by powwow in January 1930. 
Mrs. Harry McDonald, 34, a housewife from Reading, died after receiving severe burns in her home. She'd apparently been given some sort of ointment from a hex doctor with instructions to rub it on her skin. At some point in the night, her body went up in flames when she got too close to her stove. Her brother told reporters that he believed the lotion she was using was flammable and caught fire, killing his sister. Now, he didn't have any evidence of this, but the press latched onto the theory and kept the story alive with occult connections for weeks. Another hex panic murder occurred on January 20th, 1932, when the body of a Philadelphia man named Norman Bechtel was found robbed and stabbed nine times. The newspapers tried to make something out of an occult witch ritual, you know, stabbed nine times, some kind of magic number, but it didn't fly. It turned out he'd been killed by blackmailers who he'd been paying to keep his wife from learning about an affair he'd been having. Well, if these cases had been the only ones tied to powwow, it's likely the hex scare would have died out quickly and the public would have lost interest. But that's not what happened. Another hex murder occurred in 1934, and this one gave folk magic a black eye for decades to come. The last true hex murder in Pennsylvania occurred in Pottsville on Saturday, March 17, 1934, when a shotgun blast ended the life of Susan Moomy as it tore through her living room window. At the time, few of the residents of the area had electricity or modern plumbing and telephones were non-existent. Susan lived in a fairly primitive home in the woods with her adopted daughter, Tovilia. Susan was a powwower and had earned her reputation years before. Back in 1910, she'd had a premonition that told her that on July 5th of that year, her husband Henry would die if he went to work at the local powder mill. Although she begged him to stay home that day, he laughingly dismissed her fears and went to work as usual. And you guessed it, on that very day, Henry was killed when an explosion occurred at the mill. While his death didn't earn Susan any sympathy, it just made people afraid of her. On the night of her murder, Susan had been tending to the injured foot of her boarder, Jacob Rice, who was seated in front of her. Her daughter was standing next to her holding an oil lamp when the window exploded. Susan was killed instantly and the other two took cover for the entire night, not knowing if more shots would follow. When morning came, Jacob took the three mile walk to Ringtown to report the crime. Although the victim had led a quiet, reclusive life, it soon emerged there was no shortage of people who might have wanted her dead. Susan was a quarrelsome sword who had feuded with most of her neighbors, something that only enhanced her sinister reputation. She was believed to have turned an evil eye on one of her enemies and hexed several others. A great sigh of relief went out when it was learned that she was dead. Basically, what I'm saying is the police had a list with a lot of suspects on it. Soon, however, their focus was centered on one man. Three days after the murder, some local boys told a detective in charge of the case that on the night Susan was shot, they'd seen a car parked on the road leading to the victim's home. No one was in the car, but they immediately recognized it as belonging to 23-year-old Albert Shinsky. Albert quickly confessed to the killing. He claimed that it had been self-defense and that Susan had placed a hex on him seven years earlier when he was working in a field across from the Moomy farm. There had been a dispute between Susan and the man he worked for about the property lines, and one day, Susan came over to the fence and stared at him for a long time. Wow. He claimed that he felt cold sweat come over him, 
and felt there were hands gripping his throat. And from that day on, he said, he felt a constant physical and mental torment that sapped him of all of his strength. Susan had put a hex on him. Albert described how he constantly felt invisible hands on his shoulders. Pens were stuck into him. A black cat would come down from the sky and attack him while he slept. He tried going to doctors and priests, but they were of no help. In desperation, he consulted other powwowers who gave him various amulets and spells, but they provided only temporary relief. The flying black cat always came back. Finally, a spirit came to him, explaining that the only way he could be free of the hex was if he killed the woman who placed it on him. So on the night of March 17th, he borrowed a shotgun, loaded it with a magic bullet guaranteed to kill witches, and went out to Susan's farm. He told the police that he didn't enjoy committing the murder, but hey, it had worked. At the minute she died, he claimed he felt the curse lift from his shoulders. After his arrest, Albert became something of a local hero. Other men went to the police alleging that Susan had cast spells on them as well, hexes that were only broken with her death. Townsfolk raised a defense fund for him. The murderer himself remained happy and unconcerned. Even the thought of facing the electric chair, he said, didn't faze him. Well, the court hardly knew what to make of him. The story he told was deeply, utterly crazy, but aside from that, Albert appeared calm and rational. He indignantly rejected any suggestion of an insanity defense. But psychiatrists who interviewed him thought otherwise. They recommended he be sent to Fairview State Hospital for the criminally insane. The judge in the case agreed. He was sent to the hospital where he remained until 1976. He lived for seven more years after he was released. The hex apparently didn't bother him anymore. To much of the press and the public, the murder of Susan Mooney confirmed that witchcraft was a menace to society. Practitioners of powwow still had a few defenders though, and they retained plenty of clients, but the tide of public opinion had turned against them. Thanks to the two high-profile murder cases and the many suspected cases that were blown up by the newspapers, war was declared on the belief in hexes, powwow, and witchcraft in general. Modern medicine and science would erase the superstitions that plagued the country, it was thought. State authorities also launched a campaign against powwowers and hex doctors directly, arresting and prosecuting them for practicing medicine without a license. Combined with the sensational stories in the media and the assault on folk magic in general, many of the remaining powwowers went underground. They continued to provide services, but only to those who knew how to seek them out. As time went on, fewer members of the younger generation showed interest in learning about the old ways of healing and hexes, but the practice refused to die out completely. Many powwowers still exist today, and German folk magic, like every other kind, remains alive and well. Although practitioners today seem far less likely to be driven to murder because they believe they've been hexed. And with that, we leave American witchcraft and folk magic behind and visit one of the strangest stories of the season so far. A tale of religious fanaticism, murder, and the Antichrist. See you in two weeks. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. 
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. How would you say this stuff? I'm not kidding. Mupiel? If my, oh, it was a demon and my name was Mupiel, I'd be pissed. <laughs> no wonder they're so angry. Simon, Simon Gloth. Yikes. See, these suck, man. Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season six of the podcast, Woods and Fields, Dark and Wicked. Week. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, the founder of American Hauntings, and ball buster, Troy Taylor. What's up, dude? Hey, how you doing? Good, man. You know, Good. weather's nice outside. Getting better, it finally. Is. Yeah, I think I was checking, um, I was looking on the app today, and it was like, tomorrow, it's like, Low of 36, high of 70 years. I'm right, dead. I, I, was know, like, I know. We're in that time. Yes, we are in that time. So it was very chilly this morning. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I woke up and it was like kind of like rainy too. And I, yeah. could, I like couldn't tell what time it was because of like the time change. Still haven't thing. gotten used to that. Yeah. yeah I'm I like, know. when does the sun come up again? I, I don't know. But we're, we're trending in the right direction. Right. Which is awesome. Um, and when we're getting warmer, it's getting nicer. We have more events and more fun things coming up and people getting outside. Um, what you got? We do have more up? stuff coming up. Um, well, we, we've got, I'm only going to mention this now because we never really talk much about the conference as much as we normally do, mm-hmm. you know, um, usually leading up to it. We, we do a lot of talking, but the reason, the reason we have it is because as of today, there are 25 seats left. Damn. And then it's going to be sold out. So it's it's filled up so fast this year. Yeah. So this is just sort of a heads up. If you're thinking that you'd like to come, now would be the time to book those times. You really cannot wait any longer. I now know we never. always encourage people to get signed up, but I'm really dead serious about it now. Well, we, they we won't really hear this re- for three days either. So well, who knows, yeah, knows what will happen to yeah. me now and then. So, cause that's how I looked at this list of things that we were going to record this a little earlier. Mm-hmm. So we were going to be on the ball and it just never worked out. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I wrote some things down. Oh, Hey, don't forget to mention this. And they're already sold out, but mm-hmm. like the river road tours in April, um, St. Louis exorcism in April sold out. Um, I did do a new version of that hell hath no fury presentation. Yeah, I yeah. do, um, because I've, I've been working on the, the second book in that series. Mm-hmm. And so I put together a new presentation for it. So if you've seen it already, you haven't seen this one, it's a new one. Um, and it's April 2nd. Um, and you know, I think that's always a fun one to do. Yeah. Yeah. I but like it's going to end after this stuff because so there's no more women that freaked out and killed people or anything. Oh no, like no. It, it's a, kind of one of those ongoing forever know, and ever forever series. Yeah. I'll never run out of material for it. That's the good thing. I love it. <laughs> well, good. I, good. depends on how you look at it. Yeah. It's good. The right <laughs> yeah. word. Um, well, we have some listener reviews. Uh, this one is from Chikaruna. 
It's okay. titled, Where Have You Been? It said, I unbelievably just stumbled upon this podcast. I'm disappointed in myself for this. I'm from a small town in North Hannibal, Missouri called Pal- Pal- Palmyra? Palmyra? Okay. That sounds right. Uh, I currently live in Troy, Missouri. Look at that. Um, the <laughs> close distance uh, to Alton makes I, it, it. You seem to be under the impression that it sounds like named after me. You do that every time. It's funny. It comes up. I, take, I don't. I take pictures of signs on the <laughs> yeah. highway too. I know. And I'm like, I it's don't, Troy. Yeah. <laughs> I would do. I want to go to Cody, Wyoming. And I've been there. I want. Yeah. Is, is a shithole as a suck? No, it's not. It's but, the gateway to Yellowstone. Per, okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. see, it's Buffalo great. Bill. I mean, well, how could you go uh, wrong? Right. Got a nice museum there. And you said, so you see, I already own several of Troy's books and heard many of these stories already. I can't believe I've been missing out on ghost tours, dinners, and conventions. That won't be the case going forward. I can't thank you enough for breaking down the history and background and not going willy-nilly into the stories. <laughs> I've always tried to understand the so-called truth of ghost stories. New Orleans, St. Louis, Savannah, and so on have great interesting past and mysterious current events without the need for elaborating. I'm currently on season three, the Axe Murders getting to two three episodes completed a day taking breaks only to research topics further and seeing what these places look like keep episodes coming i'll need them to curve my morbid curiosity <laughs> thank you for that review yeah. this last one's from von db it says it's called good research and delivery as i've been listening to this show for what feels like forever yeah tell me about it yeah tell us about it no kidding i actually went back <laughs> through and listened to the entire library of shows three times now ouch if you enjoy a well-researched show by a talented author, give this show a try. There's Ouch. A, a lot of historical information goes really far in depth. Troy and Cody have a genuine friendship that makes the banter and show even better. Aw. I uh, think we're what friends. What was your name again? Cody. Yeah. Couldn't remember. Uh-huh. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, see, the word is not even on the... <laughs> Thank you guys for your work, and I hope the next 100 episodes are enjoyed by many more listeners. Oh, God, another 100. <laughs> well, we're, we're already two into it. Yeah, we're getting so. there. Oh, okay. So I read the title of this episode and immediately I was like, oh God, are we going to have to have one of those conversations where I'm like, Troy, I don't know if we can say powwowing. Yeah, it has nothing it's, to do with it. And it's yeah. nothing to do with that. Yeah. I was relieved. I figured, I know you're in touch with things, but I was like just thinking about, you know, with know. all the and, social and stuff. I, and, and I did, I do give that a line to explain. It and you do. nothing to do with it. And you it's did. It's just what it's called. And, and I, it's just a, and all it is is yet another slurish version of a German word that they, you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like Pennsylvania Dutch, which I gave a very too long explanation for, but people need to know the difference. And this is the same thing. So, so we'll talk about powwowing and hex murders. So you say folk magic was not an American invention, but it was quickly adopted since once it arrived here and the city folk were surprised to learn that folk healers, which is things like that were still active in the uh, roaring twenties in the modern days, in in the twenties and thirties, in the modern days. Yes. And then, uh, the hex murders changed the perception of folk magic powwowing and really put a damper on, uh, The yeah, practice of this kind of folk magic. So, powwowers and hexry, 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 hexry. Okay, hexry. Two factions, essentially like a good and evil kind of dichotomy. Sure, it's like if you the, want to the good witch. It. And the, it was you know Glenda, the good witch, uh-huh. and then the wicked witch of the west. Right, kind of two different things. Yeah, yeah. I thought it'd make it simple for you. Thank you. Yeah, breaking it. Down. <laughs> I had a really good meme about um, uh, Wizard of Oz the other day, but follow me on Instagram. Uh, so these two factions practice folk magic mixed with their religious beliefs, known as Broca. Yes, I guess, and a powwowing, which Very had good. nothing to do with Native American ceremony or right. practices, as you mentioned. Right. Most powwowers believed that their power to heal came from God, but there were also witches among them uh, called the Hexry that drew their power from the devil. Right. Which is right. way cool. Of course. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. You have to have that, that tension, you know, the, the, yeah, going head to head. Powwowers use charms, amulets, spells, prayer, things like that. 
something I was thinking about, and I, I think we've kind of talked about this before, but there's a there's a podcast about chain restaurants I love called Doughboys. Oh, that's they, right. And they had yeah. a crazy guest on there, um, and he was talking about he was saying he had a cult, which he really doesn't. He just likes to kind of be a you know flamethrower kind of guy. But he was saying like you know he's like even a conversation can be like a seance. You know, you say the right words in the right order and things kind of happen. You put stuff out there in the world. And so that got me scared to yeah, even we've talk We've all seen to Evil Dead. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it's like a prayer is kind of like a spell, essentially, right? If you think about it. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is all goes back to what we were talking about in, in other episodes when we've been talking a little bit about folk magic and witchcraft. You know, if you believe it, it's going to work. Yeah. And that's that's essentially what this all turned into. And, you know, um, you know, they write these, and I've, I've seen them. People still do it. I've seen the the charms written on papers and folded into triangles that mm-hmm. people carry in their pocket. Uh-huh, right. And it's just like anything else. It's a good luck charm, you know, essentially. Uh, if you have something that you believe has good energy behind it or, and it's good luck and you carry it, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have better luck. Or at least you're going to see the better luck. Yeah. You won't see the bad things that happen quite as clearly as you see the good things. Mm-hmm. It's all in, you know, power of the mind, you know, sure. it's, it's, um, you know, power of positive thinking, I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean it, but it is the same kind of thing though. And sympathetic magic is always going to be worthwhile in people's lives, I think, mm-hmm. because it's, it has a positive influence on people. And the same way you can look at it is if somebody comes into, if you believe in this stuff, somebody tells you they paid a hex doctor to put a hex on you and you're screwed. You're gonna, everything that happens that goes wrong, you're going to be convinced has something to do with that. As we see, as yeah. this story goes along, yes. you know, two very, very definite versions of people who believe they'd been hexed by mm-hmm. someone. That, that reminds me, I was watching a Brooklyn Nine-Nine, a show that I love, uh-huh. and a psychic told one of the cops, she's like, don't get out of this chair, something bad's going to happen to you if you do. And he was really freaked out, and he <laughs> stayed in the chair all day, and finally some com- somebody came up to him and punched him, and she said, look, something bad happened to you in the chair, okay? So get up, live your life, shit's going to happen, you know? And whether you believe it or not, like, that's how it's going to go. Um, do you know much about, like, chaos magic? Have you heard that term? I, I've heard the term. I don't know a whole lot about okay, it. Okay, I was curious because yeah. I know, I remember the last podcast guys were talking about practicing that and some of the stuff they were saying people do. It's like, you know, yeah, you write out your intentions, you write out the things you want right. to do and all that. But then they said like some people like you masturbate on it or whatever. You do this, like they get intense into this Whoa. shit. And I was like, wow. okay, so it's alive and well, these practices. Yeah, um, oh yeah. Still, yeah, yeah. and yeah, but a little, a little bit different than I guess maybe what we were talking well, about. Well, I think all of it, changes over time sure you know? yeah it gets um, a little that's weirder. an extreme one but yes. you know uh, i think things change over time yeah you know you said the hex doctors use dark magic for more nefarious purposes and you said it was generally assumed that hex doctors made a pact with the devil and were given his powers but there was also a book of spells and incantations that was associated with hex magic called the sixth and seventh book of moses had a sinister reputation was rumored to be in the library of every witch and powerful hex doctor allegedly written by Moses himself, containing secret knowledge that could not be in the Bible. So this book sounds badass. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can get it. I mean, you can get a copy. It's, I mean, it is out there. And every once in a while, you'll run across old copies of it. There, so I immediately went and bought it. You do have a copy. I got it this morning oh, and I yeah. haven't looked at it yet. Yeah, where'd you get it at? Amazon. Oh, of co- okay. Of course. It came in. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's thick, and I, how accurate this is. I don't know. I was going through some of the reviews and some people were saying, oh, with the translations and the, yeah, like there right, was a lot exactly. of stuff There's going on. There's some interesting on. stuff here, but it looked kind of, I just flipped yeah, through because I got it this it's morning. It's kind but, of interesting, but yeah, it um, sounded I've cool. seen different copies. 
of it. I've seen some of the old school looking copies. I, I was hoping uh, I'd get a beat up cool. looking I know, one. yeah. The, the, the old, because they were all paper bound back then. Sure. You know, and, but I've seen old copies of it in places and it's, it's kind of cool. Um, you know, I don't know. This guy has edited it and I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. This version of it, it looks like a lot of annotation in there, mm -hmm. uh, which is not really what the, the real ones would have been like, sure. but it's still cool. Yeah. I'm excited um, to go need through to it. have it. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, almost a charm in itself. Kind of like when we were talking about the Appalachian folk magic in the last episode, we we're talking about Bibles being a spell book mm -hmm. of, of sorts. Yeah. Um, using a Bible verse to go along with the healing. And that's what the, you know, the powwow doctors were doing too. They were using their Bibles and things as part of their healing. Plus the, you know, the, the, the friend, the book, the friend, which we'll get to that in a second. Right. But, um, but yeah, this one was supposed to be, you know, you're, if you read the whole thing, you could become obsessed with it and, mm -hmm. and couldn't do anything but read it. And, you know, there are all kinds of stories, mostly to scare people away, I think, you right. know, from owning one, even owning one, you know. Yes. But yeah, I, I, the, the, the story behind it was always interesting because, you know, I mean, you get really deep into that, into the Bible magic lore. I mean, there are a lot of people who look at like the stories of Moses and Aaron, his brother, mm -hmm. um, who was a magician, who was a magician, according to the Bible, um, was a magician who was and went on to become the first high priest of the temple and the guardian of the Ark of the Covenant that's and all awesome. that, you know, uh, but they were supposed to have been wizards, you know, and that's how he accomplished the things that he did using this magic powers that he was given to him by God. And so using the sixth and seventh book, which were forbidden was appealing to the, to the hexry. Yeah. So I can see why. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You said that uh, the written word was powerful in every kind of folk magic, as well as charms, amulets and ritualized objects. And we've talked about the written word a couple different times um, in this season, especially. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious, as an author, what is it about the written word? What is it about the pen is mightier than the sword? All that kind of stuff. What, what are your thoughts? Especially? Well, I think that when you look at it in that way, and especially when you're looking at it going back to the 19th century, especially, and we talked about this a lot, too, in last episode. Um, people having books at a time when books weren't common. Mm. Uh, books were not commonly in most people's household aside from like the Bible or uh, Pilgrim's Progress or something like that. A couple of religious books were about the only thing most people owned. Um, only rich people had lots of books and people who were, you know, really studious, I guess, would collect any kind of books they could. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, books were a lot harder to come by in, what? say, in the middle 19th century. Yeah, when did the printing press... Oh, well, that was er much earlier, but they were only using it to print Bibles. Right, with, right. You know, so, and then eventually they started printing newspapers and they started printing pamphlets and things. And then they printed like Common Sense by Thomas Paine, mm -hmm. which was world changing to the views of people in this country at the time. And, you know, when you books became so important, or at least printed word became so important because it changed history in so many ways. So many books have mm -hmm. over time. I mean, for us here, it was common sense. For other places, it's, you know, it's, it's Marx or, you know, or Chairman Mao or Hitler. Yeah. You know, I mean, these books have been world changing for a lot of people's lives. And so books are, books are extremely important, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and the way that they have changed world history, I think, speaks volumes so access you know. to information yeah, and yeah. spreading and, of and ideas. the written language is is taking you know stories that people have told for so long and putting it in a permanent way mm -hmm. you know that we 
didn't yet have in centuries past. And I think that is what makes things so, the, the book or the at least printed word, so important. And I feel like that in a lot of ways we've lost some of that because everything's gone electronic. And yes, it's still available and it's still the printed word, but it's not quite the same. I, I'm, I'm a person who likes, I mean, while I enjoy reading things on Kindles and it's convenient and you can haul around, you know, a thousand books in your phone or in your, on your Kindle or yeah. whatever, but having a book, a tangible object in my hand is much more important for me mm-hmm. uh, to have that actual book. I'll never stop buying books. As long as they keep printing them, I will keep buying them. Um, and I remember 10 years or so ago when it looked like that, you know, everything was going to go electronic and it was very distressing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but that that kind of passed. People realized that they still wanted something tangible they can hold in their hands. And I think that's a big part of it. You know, when you're talking about magic spells or, or, you know, life changing or important information, you want to be able to touch it and hold it. I mean, that's just who we are as humans. I yeah. Think. Um, and I, I think having that tangible thing makes it real, mm-hmm. you know, just like me talking about them writing out a spell on a piece of paper, folding it in triangles. Now it's an, a solid object. It's a thought that's been put to paper Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a spell, it's a vision, it's an idea. Now you have it and you can hold it in your hand and it becomes more real. That's a very good explanation with the triangles. Are we talking like paper football kind of? Yeah, that kind of exactly. That is exactly what it is. That's probably where that idea came from. I don't know. It's hard to say, Yeah, but I can remember when I was a kid, girls would, fold up all those things oh, and they yeah. with their fingers the and they thing. make them move and yeah. you spell out things and you lift a flapper of a number. Remember those? I, I can't yeah. tell you how many people I'm supposed to marry because yeah. of that <laughs> yeah, or right, whatever. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, let's, you, you, so yeah, talking about these books, say the, the, the magic was like dependent. It was passed down through families in these recipe books, if you will. And I told you, I got a new um, like moleskin type thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I yeah, did yeah. I did start, I put like a plane ticket from a trip that oh, I just cool. took and I cool. started putting stuff That's in awesome. there. And um, I did a, oh, I did a drawing earlier. That actually, I haven't drawn, I haven't drawn anything in years, but I want to show it to you yeah, and see what, what movie Terrible. do you think I can, uh, okay. what movie do you think I was watching? Okay. I'll show you that later. And cause podcast is a, you know, great for visual uh, media. Yeah, well. yeah. Right. It'll, it'll be uh, really great for the audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll hold on to that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you talked about these famous volumes and thing. The most famous of these books was compiled by John George, uh, Homan in 1819. It was called the long lost friend. Yes. So have you, didn't want to try to tackle a German. No, uh, I did. Oh, oh, I, did. Oh, I thought you were asking. No, me. I did, oh, okay. and it and I I got through it. Yeah, without too much problem. Interesting. Yeah. Is it a fun read? <laughs> oh no, um, oh, I've been pronouncing it, but oh. I have yes, I actually have oh, a copy of that I, book. Okay. Oh, um, oh yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen I've seen that one more often in old shops mm-hmm. and old like um, occult stores and things. I uh. see. I see the long lost friend much more often than I've seen the sixth and seventh book of Moses. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'd never heard of either of them until until this, Uh, but this long lost friend was meant to be the opposite of sixth and seventh book of Moses. The book itself became a talisman. It was a great marketing stunt, friend, w- from what you talked about. Yeah, I mean, people carrying yeah, it around. Great. And, it's a and great idea. Buy one, and it'll keep you safe. Yeah. I, mean, I should come up with that. You I, you that. really, yeah. really, really should. Yeah. yeah um, Buy this book. Yeah. And Carry maybe, it in your pocket. Or uh, get, like, one on a chain or something. Yeah, so people can kind of just... Make it into a, a necklace. Yeah, get yeah. The, the logo right <laughs> out there. It's very similar to, like, what Apple does, I guess, with a lot of their products. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know? it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've covered the books. We've covered the text let's dive into these hex murders you yeah, call them and i was yeah. very curious going into this 
what this was going to be about, and I didn't know. I was like, okay, it's probably not a last name, you know. Just reading the title, <laughs> right, sure, you know, sure, I was sure. like, what is yeah. he? What is he talking about? So, this the, the most famous sex murder you call is committed by a third generation powwower, John Blymeyer. Blymeyer, yeah. Blymeyer. All right. I I know. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't no, listen. I, I don't listen to Troy's monologues before I come in to record these typically. Uh, so. If you're new to so the podcast, he, if I change something midstream, he isn't usually no <laughs> yeah. until he goes to actually finish the episode. It's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. yes. That's what others. Yes. I can just imagine now like listening to an episode where at the end you pronounce the name the correct way. So it'd be like in the middle of the episode, it'd be like John Black Iron. So, like, yeah, like, uh, so he started using folk magic to heal others when he was really young, like only seven years old. Um, I'm guessing this is since he was a third generation thing. It's probably right. It was in a family and his grandfather and his father and, you know, blah, right. blah, blah. So he thinks there's a shadow hanging over him. Right. Becomes ill. Thinks somebody puts a hex on him. He was. He, he, well, because I mean, seriously, though, I mean, you yeah. could if you really believe this, mm -hmm. it would be really easy to look at every. I mean, you could be having a, an otherwise great day, but let's say you get a flat tire on the way into work or you know, you get to work and your computer doesn't work right. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, and if you start piling those things up, then anybody could be having a horrible day. If you only nitpick uh -huh. the bad things. Now, let's say you do the opposite and pick, and let's say you're a terrible day, but if you pick every good thing out of it, at the end of the day, you can, you know, but I'm not that kind of person. Right. I'm definitely <laughs> the glass half full. I am the, I am the what glass guy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I would definitely go with the, uh, go with the, everything that went wrong yeah. out of my day and go, oh my God, someone has hexed me. Uh -huh. I really wouldn't think that, but you don't want to say it. But right. I could definitely say, I'm really having a terrible day. Yeah, the whole world's against me, man. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 So he he somehow through like dreams and things or whatever, convinced that he'd been hexed by his great-grandfather Jacob, yeah. the seventh son well, of you know, the we did hear son. the owl hooting. So that, of I mean, course. that's the giveaway right I mean, there. right there, Every what else could it be? Every time I hear an owl hoot multiple times, I've got to figure out a number somewhere in my life that you makes curse, it sense. Yeah, curse yeah. your great-grandfather. So it makes sense, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just like the phrase, the seventh son of a seventh son. Isn't that like a thing? It is a thing. You're supposed to be as powerfully magic. Oh, it's like okay. a, being a baby and being born with a call over your face. Okay, like all right. The skin, yeah, yeah. like the skin, like the, from the... Um, from the uterus over your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that means that you're going to have second sight. It's just, and it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, and seventh son of a seventh son is not the same as a son of a son of a sailor. It is the seventh <laughs> son of a seventh son. And then you are supposed to be a powerfully magician. Mm -hmm. Is it because like seven is something to do with magic or do people I just have, like alliteration? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be because seven is this, you know, universally magical lucky number. Right. It is a fun number. Yeah. Uh, so wasn't there a Schoolhouse Rock with the rabbit? Wasn't he lucky number seven, or was that a? Was he six? I only know how nah, a bill becomes a law. That's yeah, that's I the know. only one I. Well, and, and I know the preamble of the Constitution, which I can sing at any time. Still remember it. No, you have a microphone right in front of you. I don't need to sing it now, but oh, I can okay. sing it. In fact, I couldn't say it if I had to. But I you can could sing only it. Sing it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And conjunction, junction. What's your function? Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so John meets Lily, and they have two children, both who unfortunately pass away very young. He looks for help with the hex. See? More hexes. More hexes. Yeah. He's convinced. Don't, ignore the fact that he found this lovely young woman that he's yeah, married yeah, because yeah. he's a loser with no real job, and yet he finds someone who will actually marry him. That's, you know, That's but no, a good let's point. focus on just the bad stuff. Focus on the bad stuff, so, yeah. yeah. That's uh, what I do. He's now convinced it's somebody that he knows well. 
because of an, another powwow that you know helps him come to that conclusion. And Lily is now afraid for her safety. Yeah, and has John committed? And well, because that same powwow had told another woman who went and said, "Hey, look, wait, my husband thinks he's being hexed." You know, and this guy says, well, it's because it's somebody close to him. That's why he's worried. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, obviously that turned bad. Yeah. So the first you know. time she overcooks so, the chicken, he yeah. looks at her like, yeah, uh... it's just, that's it. Lily is now freaked out, yes. which I don't blame her. Yeah. Uh, and, but it didn't really last because John walks out of the door of the yeah. asylum 48 hours later. Nobody even days. looks for Wait, days. Oh, days. Okay. okay. So at least she got her divorce and cleared out. Got it. Got out. Okay. So. Okay. So he was in there for a little bit of yeah, time. Yeah. Month and a half. Yeah. So uh, nobody even looks for him. I love it. He goes to work at a cigar factory. He meets two men, John Curry and Milton Hess, who also. So luck would have it. Hey, they're man, all, well, things were, you know, this kind of stuff was going around yeah. at the time. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people who believed in this stuff, and it was a it was a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it really was. And it's hard for us to believe this, imagine I know, it's today. It's, it's easier for me to laugh it at re- it. I know, it is, it is, but it was a big deal to people at the time, especially in that culture. Fair know? enough, fair enough. I'll, I'll hold off on my Oh, no, you could laugh. I mean, it's because, I mean, it, essentially it's pretty silly. I mean, you know, the doctors at the asylum thought he was crazy, which he was. Mm-hmm. But to him, it was completely normal. And right. a lot of other people at the time, too. Right, right, right. He seeks out a woman named Nellie Knoll, a known witch, who tells him the hex came. The river witch of Marietta. Let's not skip on her oh, title. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. The river witch of Marietta. I that's, mean, that's a dope how name awesome too. is yeah, that? Yeah, See, yeah, I'd like, like to be something like that. The, oh, we could come up with something The river for you. witch of the Mississippi or something. That sounds know? dirty. It does. Doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but still. Yeah, we'll cool. workshop it. We'll punch it up. Um, she convinced. She's convinced that the hex came from a local family named Raymeyer. Raymeyer, right? Convinced it was Nelson Raymeyer, someone he had known pretty much his whole life. Yeah. The three go to steal. Who cured him? Yeah. At one time of an illness, his grandfather couldn't cure him of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So nice. So guy. Shit, it's got to be him. Yeah. What, what the his track record <laughs> makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. I know. Who knows? Oh, Just well. jumping to conclusions yeah. here. The three decide to go steal Nelson's copy of the long lost friend and a lock of his hair because they figured out if they can just bury that, it'll be. Yeah, one you know, and, he, and he just made that up, but <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. As if he, he believed it, it would work, yes, it would have worked. Uh, they get they get a driver who's Milton's oldest son, Clayton, and uh, the men they go to his house, decide they're going to stay the night there. And while Nelson's sleeping, they look, but they can't find the book, and decide not to take his hair because is he a big guy? He's a pretty big. Guy. Okay, so yeah. he's a pretty big guy. They didn't think they could cut his hair and. Hold him down at the same time. <laughs> Jeez, like a I real know, right? Samson story yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trio goes back and they get Milton's son, Wilbert, to help. Wilbert. There's some names you don't hear too often. <laughs> you don't? No. I just, yeah. It's, I just Nelson, don't. Wilbert. <laughs> just, I just can't imagine looking at my baby son and being like, that's a he Nelson. He looks like a Wilbert. Yeah, that's a yeah. Nelson. They go back to Nelson's and immediately immediately attack him, beating and strangling him to death. And then they decide, all right, we're going to try to make this look like a robbery, and <laughs> yeah. we're going to burn his whoops. body. Yeah, whoops. You Which know. doesn't work. No. Leaving a bunch of evidence behind. And uh, someone that they'd stopped, uh, his ex-wife, I believe. Right, lived up the road. And yeah. she's like, yeah, they came by here asking you know, where he was. <laughs> yeah, so these two idiots right there. They're arrested yeah. uh, as suspects. Wilbert gets 10 years for his part, and both the Johns get life sentences. But both eventually get paroled. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, hey, we get it. We different different th- idea about life sentences in the 1920s. Yeah, it was the so, hex panic, you know. We were all yeah. a little yeah. weird then. Uh, so let's talk about the aftermath a little bit. This case puts powwowing in the crosshairs, and people wanted to put an end to it. 
And a neighboring county claimed that people who didn't even know it still exists. Yeah, they're like, wait, yeah, what is this wait shit? A no, what? shut it down. Yeah, exactly. Shut it down. That doesn't yeah. affect me here, but let's shut it down. Neighboring county claimed that the deaths of five children had been caused by powwowers. The New York Times runs a story, and soon after yeah, any that's death, that's my favorite story. Is you know, well, you know, these kids could have died, and it could have been at least five of them. And then I love the, I love the headline. The headline, yes. Death of five babies laid to witch cult. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where did you get that out of that story? I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad now that publications don't use. Oh headlines no, yeah, that's, they to, don't do that at all, do yeah. they? No, they don't try to sell papers. There's no get right. Clicks. There's no uh, yeah uh, clickbait. Yeah. Back then too. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm as guilty as as anybody with yeah. this, but I try to I try to get some options out there, workshop some things, and then find that line. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we're gonna make money. Okay, hex murders <laughs> and the hex panic. Let's talk about a couple of these murders. March 1929, the body of Verna Delp, 21's another dis- name, Verna. Verna, yes. Verna, Clara. Don't don't see too many Verns and Claires. No. Oh, it sounds like Mama's family cast or something. Yeah. Uh, 21. She's discovered in the woods Doris. near Allentown. Her body had charms on it. Gladys. There's poison. You're just going to keep tossing Sorry, out. I'll stop. <laughs> uh, push. I write those names a lot and things that I work on, especially since I've been working on another Hell Hath No Fury book. Mm-hmm. There are lots of like Gladys's and oh, Mildred's yeah. and things. Are those going to come yeah. back around then, you think? And it'll I be cool don't, again? I don't think so. You think those are just now, out some of, of the, some of them come back. Things like Josephine and things that Clementine, things that have kind of a ring to them. Uh-huh. But there's just nothing exotic about doris yeah. or gladys yeah or hilda or you know there's just i know we apologize to our tough. listeners with yeah, those names if, but I, yeah i do i if there anyone out there has those names i i'm not you don't get to pick your I'm name. not dogging your name i just mean that they're not something that we're probably going to see come back to i'm not going to probably back. no wilberts right no wilburs <laughs> no, no horace you know these things are probably not coming back it's true all right, um, sorry, go no, ahead. No, you're good. Not so, when you name your kid Jameson and things like that. So <laughs> <laughs> They find the body of Verna Del 21, they, but they also find poison in her system, and the powwower who had treated her for, was this the eczema? Eczema, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is blamed. Yeah. Uh, but long story short, <laughs> she, she was pregnant, she was abandoned, she killed herself. Yeah. So yeah. that one wanted done. January 30th, though, Mrs. Harry <laughs> McDonald, 34. That wasn't really murder. Yeah, but yes. you know, still blame the powwower who gave her the ointment because it must have been flammable. Mm, yeah, I mean, what yeah. the hell did he give her? I uh, yeah, diesel I'm, fuel. I was wondering, like, does you got to think like just the smell? Yeah, if rub this on your skin be... and stand next to the stove. Yeah, it's oh, gotta man. be. You gotta think. You'd t- you'd be able to tell, right? You I would, would think. think you'd smell yeah, it or something. So. But it's at that point if you're desperate to try anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I believe that the lotion she got, like Troy said, was from a hex doctor, was flammable. Then January twentieth, nineteen thirty-two, the body of Norman Bechtel, uh, thirty-one, found robbed and stabbed nine times. Newspapers tried to make it occult-related, but he had been killed by blackmailers for an affair that he was having. But you gotta sell them papers, uh-huh. you know, like we said. Exactly. And then there's um, another one. Another big hex murder we're going to talk about. This will be the last one. It was really the last official, like, real one. Yeah. So By another guy who was convinced he was hexed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pottsville, uh, Pennsylvania, Saturday, March 17th, 1934. We just just missed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Susan Moomy killed by a shotgun blast. She was a pow- powwower who had successfully predicted her husband's death down to the day years <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. You said her death didn't earn her any sympathy. It just made people afraid of her. <laughs> yeah, because it was a little too weird. Yes. Have you ever well, seen... Well, that and the fact that she... That, she was awful to people anyway. I yeah. mean, she was like the classic, 
accuser of being a witch. Yeah, so I mean, she, she would have been. She, like we could have gone back a couple of episodes, and that she would have fit right into mm-hmm. Salem or any of those other places. Yes. Have you seen that meme that says like the Olsen twins? Now one of looks like one of them's can tell you uh, when you're going to die. The other one can tell you how you're going to die. <laughs> that's that's what made me think of this. Uh, shotgun blast through the window, like we said, takes her life. Lots of people wanted her dead, though. So yes, sus- it turned out. Suspect Big list celebration. Is, yeah, this, yeah. yeah just awful. The suspect list is long. Albert Shinsky is a suspect who quickly confesses to the crime. But look, he said she claimed she put a hex on me seven <laughs> years earlier. Self-defense, man. Self-defense, yeah. <laughs> I'm always acting in self-defense, sometimes preemptive self-defense. Yeah. Um, nothing he did work. He tried doctors, he tried priests, hexes, powwows, things. Just nothing happened. But a spirit came to him and said, look, dude. Uh, my favorite killer. part is the black cat. The yeah, flying yeah, black yeah. cat that keeps following him around. Yes, I get excited when I see a black cat. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a terrible... Where did that come from? Don't know. Well, because black cats were thought to be... Well, cats are scary anyway yes. to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I can because tell you by the cuts on my arm I right know, now. I know, cats are plotting to take over the earth. If, they, if my cat They're, was bigger, <laughs> she would kill me. I, right, like, exactly. That, yeah. just, they all would. And so, uh, but a black cat, of course, you know, it's got to be the devil. It's got to be something uh, oh, with the devil. Okay, and yeah, witches dark. use cats as familiars, and I'm sure that's where. Okay, all right, yeah. Uh, like, so, so he borrows a shotgun, loads it with a magic bullet, yeah. not to be confused with the little chops that blender <laughs> yeah, right, thing or whatever. Right. And he it just, would be hard to get that into a barrel of a shotgun. <laughs> yes, he just goes for it. And like you said, people celebrated. He became something of a local hero. People like, they took up money to pay for his defense. Yeah. Because they, he like, did everybody a favor. It's like a past GoFundMe kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, GoFundMe. Yeah, he seems, aside from that. If only he had raised the money before he shot. So. <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, so he he seems, quote unquote, okay, not psycho or anything like that. Just <laughs> this one thing. But, but the doctors don't agree. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. But to everybody around there, that just seems no, completely it, normal. All that up. Yeah. yeah, the doctor's yeah. like, no, send him to a mental hospital. Uh, then the tide of public opinion turns against the powwowers due to these high-profile murder cases. Essentially, war has been declared on them. Many are then arrested for practicing medicine without right. a license, which right. I guess is better than just rounding them up for no reason and hanging well, right, them or right. something. Giving them an excuse. Yeah, at least they didn't hang them. They just yeah. find them and put them out of business. Yeah, so this forces <laughs> many of the powwowers to go underground and Essentially, what I'm getting from what you read is like the art's kind of slowly dying, but it's, it'll never die. Yeah, out it'll completely. never go out of, completely. I mean, there's, you know, people, I mean, since we're done, this is the last yeah. of our witchcraft stories for this season, we're going to move on to some other things. But, um, you know, it's never going to die because, I mean, we're, how, what are we, 40 steps away from the Zen shop yeah. here in the Mineral Springs in Alton. And, you know, there is all kinds of things in there for some the fun practicing. Stuff you know, folk magic slash witch. You can buy a wand so, in there. But I also, I know, and I also, I, also, I posted a meme that the other day yeah, <laughs> got yeah, yeah. some, it was a scene from the from the witch, the mm-hmm. movie The Witch, where she's saying, I be the witch of the wood. And then the caption on the meme says, every white girl who buys their first crystal, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, you and get I some didn't, hate from people I did you know get a lot of, I yeah, I did. I did feel attacked, but... Uh, well, they felt attacked. Yeah, they by should me. feel attacked too. Yeah, it's funny. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I was just being funny. Yeah, but yeah. There's an. I mean, if I had a dollar for everybody I met that was supposed to be a witch, mm-hmm. uh, again, we would need to do a podcast. Wouldn't, yeah, well, we rich, won't make any money from the podcast anyway. But I would man. need to write books. <laughs> there you go. How's that sound? But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, but I'm not making fun of it. I think it's. I think it's great. I, I, you know, any, any, any kind of um, alternative belief system um, is is interesting to me. 
you know, within reason. And I'm not much on lizard people and so yeah, well, stuff. Yeah, yeah, some of it's a little. You know, if you're, but, not, if you're not hurting you know, anybody. Right. It doesn't hurt anything. What's, you know, in fact, I think it probably helps people. Again, if you yeah. stick with that idea of, you know, the 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 belief in a power of something mm-hmm. being good then yeah. and it makes your life better well we're more power to you then yeah i've kind of like i on the other hand constantly believe i'm hexed <laughs> um i you know so my bar has been lowered so much that i'm basically at this point like whatever keeps you from killing yourself <laughs> yeah, right. you know what is good go yes, for it it's yeah good. It's it, a, just, that's also a good way to look at yeah, it yeah that's kind of where i am at yeah. this point so <laughs> that's that's the end of that um, series. Yeah, I guess, so right, it is that our series within a series kind of thing, I guess. So we're going to move on to uh, something very different next time. It's a uh, we only have this one kind of story that kind of bridges between where we're going next mm-hmm. um, in the next next episode. But it's a, okay. it's an interesting one. Awesome. You you will be interested. Let's just put it that way. I'm excited. It's a, it's a pure religious fanaticism, mm. crazy story. Nice. You know so, I love a good bridge, yes, too. Yes, um, yeah, okay, that's, yeah. yeah, okay. Good uh, I just want to give a quick, couple quick shout-outs to our new Patreon subscribers. So thank you for supporting the show to Missy, Christina, Genevieve, and Donna. And something I haven't done before, but I was right before I came here, I was looking, I was on Facebook, and I was in the American Hauntings uh, Patreon group that we have mm-hmm. on Facebook, and Holly had posted a question. And oh, I wanted to kind of pose sure. it, put it on yeah, the podcast. Yeah. Okay. It, she said, I'm going to Waverly Hills sanat- uh, Sanatorium next week, looking for must-see places, good eats, and coffee, tea shops in Louisville. Oh. Uh, thanks. And so I wanted to put that out here to you, but our listeners as well, yeah. and just to remind people, like, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. a good community. If you want yeah. to support the show on Patreon, you can get in the Facebook group and um, see a bunch of funny memes and other questions and cool people. But, yeah, do you have any thoughts I will, on that? I, I would, um, restaurant-wise, not really i know there i mean i've been there a lot i've eaten in a lot of good places but off the top of my head i couldn't tell you but Mm -hmm. i would recommend if you get downtown if you're going to stay um i recommend staying at the sealbach okay hotel it's an old one um been around for a long time during the 1920s they had a speakeasy um, nice and it was one of those places where capone really did go and play cards i mean that's it's a documented thing not like al capone slept everywhere kind of thing uh, but F, F. Scott Fitzgerald was there. I mean, there was just a lot of, um, and it's haunted. Uh, it's haunted by the Blue Lady. Uh, I wrote about it in that hotel book that I did, whatever that was, number Cabinet of Curiosities 3, whatever. Can't keep it straight um, anymore. I I, no, but, I, but it's a really cool place. Yeah. I've stayed there a number of times, and I really recommend it. Okay. Um, and I, it's probably too early, but a friend of mine does ghost tours downtown. I don't know if he started his season yet, mm-hmm. but he does a walking tour downtown, um, Robert Parker, and um, it's a really good tour. He does a really nice job of, uh, with that tour, and so I recommend that, too. And, and Waverly Hills is a cool place to go. Yeah, that's um, It's the only place I've – well, not the only, but one of the only times I've ever – first time – I ever saw like a full-bodied apparition ghost. We talked. About we have it. talked yeah. about it, yeah. Uh, but it was uh, up on the fourth floor of the building, and so a guy walked across the hallway in front of me, mm. and that was the only time I've ever. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen anything. Then I'm like, okay, I do not have an explanation for this, but it looked completely like a living person. Was this when you were with the guy that used to drive the bus, and you? He says you freaked out. Oh, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. drive the bus. Um, your friend. Uh, oh no, no, that was Sonny. You're thinking about Sonny. No, it was a friend of mine, Keith. Um, okay. And I was he was taking me there. It was before they opened it to the like general public for tours and stuff. Ah. It was right before the they end. were just getting ready to 
try to clean it up to open it. So, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great place to go, but if anybody else has any recommendations of restaurants and things, uh, yeah, throw them out there. Send them our way. It is now time for our ghostwriting segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at American hauntings podcast at gmail.com. This is a message on our Patreon feed and it comes from Discworld God, uh, which we talked about last episode of the episode before. Uh, I was thinking you read a review or something. Yeah, I think yeah. I, so I was saying something. Oh, I think I just was commenting on the name saying like, oh. well, you better be really good because, you know, you're calling yourself. <laughs> I don't know. So I said something dumb. I said something <laughs> not funny. Uh, they wrote in and said, hey, guys, I love your podcast. Obviously, since I decided to become a patron, I think it's super fun. Not the people dying in horrible ways part, but the storytelling and history <laughs> part. And the back and forth between Troy and Cody is great. I enjoy the history as much as the hauntings. I always listen all the way through, and when you guys started the interrupt Cody at the end bit, I died laughing, and it's still funny. Don't tell him that. <laughs> also, Orson Welles is what finally pushed me yeah. over the edge to become a patron. Come on. They wanted to hear the Orson Welles ghost story they could only hear on Patreon. So. <laughs> I figured that anyone who could make me laugh that hard deserved my money for it. That is amazing, and I, I love that <laughs> notion. Uh, I started in season one while looking for something to listen to during work and stumbled upon you guys uh, from Apple. I was hooked from the first episode and have now listened to everyone the limp series was great since i enjoy beer and brew my own oh that's cool uh, i could have listened to that a lot more hollywood uh, haunted hollywood was great and i'm very much enjoying the new season i listened to the first three episodes twice troy um is always entertaining either on the podcast or in his books and i've purchased seven um of his books recently the donner party one was spectacular it was a spectacular narrative on that horrific time i was stunned reading it and the history was phenomenal and the tragedy was so realistically portrayed I am also looking forward to reading Night at the Iroquois, uh, but I need to finish without a trace first. Glad you guys got a little chuckle out of my username on the podcast. Yes, Cody, I am awesome. At least I think so. If you're intended, <laughs> if you're interested and don't already know, it's from the Discworld book series by Terry Pratchett. Uh, in that world, gods are created by belief and they draw their power from believers. So you can basically have a god of so a lucky like rock. American gods. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just yeah. because someone believes it is lucky uh, and they only have to have one follower, so they're not very strong. Uh, the joke is that Discworld is thousands of gods, but most of them are almost powerless. Like, instead of smiting someone with a lightning bolt, they might be able to give someone a static cling. <laughs> it is an underlying theme through the 30 books or so. Troy might find that part of it enjoyable, since Terry Pratchett is very tongue-in-cheek about major religions and pokes uh, fun at a lot of theologies. I don't want to bore you to death. Um, ha, dying puns, because you know, anyway. So I won't prattle on anymore. I appreciated that. Um, in the end, I became a patron because I love everything about the way you two present the podcast. The format is different. The history is interesting. The storytelling is great. The chemistry between you two is awesome, and it's one of the best that I've heard so far. Keep up the good work. Jennifer, the god of long-winded exposition and genuine <laughs> praise. Oh, well, thank you so much for that and the explanation, and thank you for not uh, being mad that we were poking fun at your name, because uh, you know what it is. It's all in good fun. Uh, so that's that's it, man. We good? That's all okay. I got. All right. oh, okay. I'm well, knocked down the walls bad. Things, I'm so. stuff. All right. Well, um, Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we appreciate it. And um, spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell people on the street. Mm -hmm. Make them people. listen. Hurt them if they won't. We'll say they Take their phone and want. just subscribe to the podcast for them. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Uh, but don't forget, uh, also, I want to make sure I always put this out there. Uh, when you purchase anything from the American Hauntings online store, Use the podcast discount code. All you have to do is put in podcast. Gives you 10% off. So it's like we're paying you to listen to us. You're making yeah, money you're hand making over fist. You're making money by listening. So, and then you can turn around and take that money that you saved and subscribe to us on Patreon. There you and go. Become a patron. Everybody so, wins. Patreon.com slash American Hauntings. But anyway, 
Even if you don't do any of those things, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. And we will see you again in two weeks. Thank you so much. This episode of the American Hogs podcast was written by Troy Taylor, and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Music for this season is performed by Packy Lundholm, and you can find more about his music and upcoming shows on Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and Facebook. You can find us on most of those places, too. Plus, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Find the website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more. Nothing. I was just, had you looked at this? Uh, I just got it this morning. I haven't even even opened it yet, barely. The Um, mystery of all mysteries. mm -hmm. There are things in here I cannot pronounce. (laughs) The mystery of all mysteries. What do women want? How the hell do you say this? (laughs) Okay. While Troy decides summoning a demon, so I'll be right back with you in just a moment. Until Um, next time. Goodbye. So long. See you later. I can't even. I can't even pronounce these names. How would you say this stuff? I'm not kidding. Mupiel. If my oh, it was a demon, and my name was Mupiel, I'd be pissed. No wonder they're so angry. Simon Simon Bloff. Yikes. See, these suck, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were.